You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Hope everybody is having a good Tuesday afternoon as we get started with On the Line from 2 to 4 p.m. Airing on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama as well as on Facebook. You can watch the show on Facebook at the various Facebook pages, Radio Alabama Sports, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and ESPN 106.7. That's how you can keep up with the show as well. All of those great locations. That's where you can find all the great content we're putting out on the show today. Jacob Hillman. Joining me on the show today, sports director at WGL 91.1 FM. Joining me on the show this afternoon, Jacob, how you doing today, buddy? Doing well. It's a beautiful Tuesday afternoon here in Auburn, and there's a lot to talk about in the world of sports right now, so... In the world of Auburn sports. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, just this location right here, I mean, the last few days have been a lot, and like I said, even the world of sports outside of Auburn baseball obviously not the best news in the world which is (laughs) a big part of what we've had you on the show throughout the season for is baseball talk but in addition to that you cover Auburn football you cover all of the Auburn sports even all the way into Auburn hockey my friend yeah a little bit yeah Weagle has been doing that for a year and then then, then, then the pandemic kind of screwed everything up because no club sports so hey next season though we'll be back on it and bass fishing, too, will be back soon. <laughs> <laughs> Their suspension ends very soon, so that's good. That's right. That's right. I just I don't know a whole lot about that situation. It just stinks to see something like that, right. especially when I know a couple of the guys on that team. It's, it's a tough situation, but that's not how we're opening the show up today. We're not opening up with bass fishing or anything like that. There, there is so... There, there, there is so much good news out there in Auburn, in Auburn football and also think now also Auburn basketball. Big right. win on the recruiting trail yesterday. Auburn baseball, of course, we'll talk about that throughout the show as well. We got Zach Blackerby coming up at 2.30 to talk with us as well. Pre-recorded conversation there with Zach. We'll play that once again at 2.30, get his thoughts. It's an all-A-day look there with Zach. We are going all into A-day and what we're expecting to see. We even look back at some things during the Gus Malzahn tenure that are a little bit different than what we're seeing right now and what does that mean for the Auburn football program moving forward a lot on today's show for you guys so we appreciate you all joining us on your Tuesday afternoon but let's open up the show here talking a little a day and then we'll get into the Walker Kessler stuff as well what are you expecting to see this Saturday a lot of different things because (laughs) things that are going to be different from prior a days because obviously new head coach Brian Harson. New offensive coordinators, new defensive coaches. It's going to be really different, and it's going to be interesting because, like I said, it's going to be our sneak peek at what the offense is going to look like. I think that's going to be obviously the most drastic difference. You know, the defensive side, you're going to see new players. I mean, I think one of the interesting things is Ladarius Tennyson moving to safety. I think that's going to be interesting to see because I think we kind of all there's a lot of position changes, right? And I'm thinking, 
okay, that might really help the DBs out if he can play that position well. Because I think going into the offseason, we're thinking, okay, he's the starting nickel next season. But here he is at safety. And that could be a huge deal for this Auburn defense, defensive backfield specifically, if he can fill in that Jamie and Sherwood role as well as he's been touted to be. There's been a lot of position changes. This coaching staff has changed much of what the previous regime viewed certain players. First of all, J.J. Pegues is onto the defensive line. That's probably the biggest change we've seen so far, but also... Figuratively and literally. <laughs> so Minute changes as well have occurred. Javarius Johnson moving from an outside receiver position back to the slot or into the slot. First time that he's been doing that since high school. Malzahn viewed players differently. He used players differently than maybe they were even used in high school. Think about T.D. Moultrie. T.D. Moultrie was an inside linebacker recruit. What ended up happening? He ended up getting put at the buck position, which is just an exaggerated way to call him a pass-rushing defensive end. He, Malzahn changed so many things about this football team and really, in some ways, in my opinion, used guys incorrectly. I'm curious to see if guys are going to be used correctly and, and and what differences we see in terms of position changes if that benefits these players. And the nickel position, and I love that you already went there because that's something that I wasn't exactly thinking about, but I'm glad you brought that up this earlier in the week because when I get to A-Day at the end of the week and we're looking at the defense as a whole, the nickel position, an important position in today's day and age of football because teams, they're going to have three wide receivers out there and the offense is going to be pass-oriented more times than not when you are game-planning defensively against an offense. You're, you're more than likely going to encounter a team that likes to throw the football in this day and age, and they typically have three receivers that are capable, especially as you're playing the better teams in college football. And that, that's how you separate yourself. That's the, great, that's the great difference maker, right? Being able to beat the great teams, which Auburn hasn't been able to do. And the nickel position has been a position of struggle for Auburn, I would say, for the last two seasons, considering Christian Tut has not been the apple of everybody's eye in terms of his play at that position. No, you're right. because. But he, is that his fault, too, though? No, and I think it's because he's good at certain things, like tackling. I mean, he was one of the best tacklers, I think, in the, in the secondary, even probably better than smoke monday type player i think he did really good at getting off blocks on screens and making tackles and he's such an athletic player that you know he wasn't getting burned or anything but when he's going up against a good route runner then that's when he struggled so yes i think the nickel position is definitely something that is now the main concern for the defense because of how confident these defensive coaches are in tennyson playing that safety position and i mean just kind of going down the roster I really, I'm really not sure who they're going to place there. You know, Chris Thompson Jr., he was a freshman last year. He could probably play that position. I think he, he's got the big body, 6'2", 206. I think it's more about his athleticism. If he's athletic, We've seen do it. some stuff about Nehemiah Pritchett moving there. Yeah, and that would be fine with me because of also McCreary think Jalen Simpson. Simpson is versatile enough to play there as well, well but Simpson definitely excelled before his injury at the outside corner spot. That's what I was going to say. I don't think you want to take away Simpson from that spot because of how good he was. On the outside, I don't see a point in trying to move your best, your second best cornerback out of that position because I think McCreary and and Simpson can really lock it down for Auburn this entire season. Believe it or not, I believe Nehemiah Pritchett is the second best cornerback. Yeah. I think on the depth chart, he's number two. 
they're just going to stick him at a place that he will excel at better than right. maybe on the outside. Yeah. I think despite the fact That's that fair. he's playing in the slot corner position, I don't even think we should call it nickel anymore because I, I think it legitimately is, is being treated as a corner as a slot corner position. And you're going to have these three players on the field at all times. Typically, defensively, you're going to have three out there. I, I believe in this day and age, most most of the times you're going to have three cornerbacks out there because you really don't want linebackers having to cover that slot receiver so you'll still see a lot of five defensive back looks from Auburn but when that third cornerback is on the field he is a slot cornerback designated to cover the guy in the slot and we're seeing more and more throughout college football the slot receiver not necessarily being the third best receiver on the opposing football team sometimes we see it's the best player right out of the wide receiver core on the other team well, and that's because of what offenses have turned into, you know, using that slot receiver in many different ways. As I said, screen passes, bubble screens are a big thing. Auburn fans probably hate that term. But, like I said, you want to get a player like Christian Tutt who's able to make tackles in open space. He did that very well. It, it, it's just more about the coverage skills. And that's why when I look at a guy like Chris Thompson Jr., I wonder His if name's a, definitely been coming up yeah, to play that position. If, if if his 6'2", 206-pound frame can keep up with little quick speedster slot receivers, then yeah, he can definitely play that position because I know for sure he can tackle. So that that's kind of where you might have to give and take some things with the roster you're dealt with. And and Chris Thompson Jr., you might be giving up a little bit of coverage still. But and you wonder how things change when Dreshawn Miller steps foot on campus. True. Yeah, and yeah, we failed to mention you know some of the transfers that won't be here till the summer. But when we're looking at A day. I think we'll see Thompson, and I think we'll see. You'll probably see Pritchett out there too. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tennyson either. It's still spring, so why not throw him in there a few times? Speaking of transfers, and I'm not taking this in the direction that everybody thinks I'm taking this. <laughs> but speaking of transfers, do you like the state of collegiate athletics at the moment? And I'm not looking for a bash session on the transfer portal if you're against it. I'm genuinely looking for for a pretty good discussion here because I think it's benefited some programs out there for quick turnarounds. And Auburn, they're they're one of them, especially on the basketball end. I genuinely can't say how I feel about it right now because on one end, I'm like, okay, this is great because players sometimes get in a tough position or they get screwed because of a coaching change. And I've always said, you know, you shouldn't commit to a coach, you should commit to a program. But I understand that a big part of that is the coach. So... When coaches leave, then players should be allowed to transfer. But I also look at it like, I mean, I think this year's different because of the COVID season and all that we had. But, I mean, this portal is insane. In basketball, it wasn't football. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing because I don't think it should turn into a free agency type market like it seems like it almost has. And I, I, I want to see true transfers and – schools battling for one major transfer and not okay well there's another guy out there that we can get and I don't know that's why I say I can't say long term you're not in love with it but right now you see the benefits there are benefits right now and there could be benefits in the future but it's just it's so new to us and it's so different this year that I can't have a strong opinion on it like I said if it were if it were up to me I would still have it but I think the main issue is the whole all right are they gonna be immediate eligible or not and this year obviously they're all going to be eligible covid different situations whatever but in the future that's where 
things are going to get wonky and things are going to get really, really controversial. And it's going to be about are they immediately eligible? At the end of the day, you just want consistency with those decisions, though. And we have seen Inconsistency. inconsistency. So it's who knows? Yeah, the big thing that I want with the transfer portal, I think the transfer the transfer portal in itself is not a bad thing. At the end of the day, it's just an official ledger that a guy is looking to transfer. Right. Right? Like, it, 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 I think it has created more transfers. I think guys are more willing to enter it, and it has created this almost second recruitment thing. When a guy's not happy, they can enter the transfer portal and be like, respect my decision, and it's like high school all over again, and they're getting recruited. So I do think it has opened that up, but guys in the past have transferred and it has opened up a a door for players to be recruited a second time so I understand people not necessarily liking that me personally don't have a huge problem with it I think where I have a problem is more of the inconsistency in I, I think where I have the problem is more of the inconsistency in the decisions in which guys are made immediately eligible yeah, and I think and that's, that's an NCAA issue. Well, see, for me, it's all about, like I said, free agency. That's what it feels like. Because Cause you, everybody's immediately eligible, but right. it's not always going to be this way. This year, it's like that because of a COVID year. And I'm looking ahead into the future, and I'm thinking, well, if there's, if there's consistency, look, Justin Fields, it felt like the Justin Fields sweepstakes. They're True. like, who's going to get the guy? But, like, it, it, should he have been immediately eligible? Why was he immediately eligible and the guy who transferred to Illinois who was going back to be with his grandfather wasn't immediately eligible? Like I said, it's all inconsistent. And that's the biggest issue is that... Martell to Miami? I don't don't necessarily have the biggest issue with, okay, guys can transfer one time, be immediately eligible and stuff. But it's whenever you say, okay, this guy who is a star is allowed to do it, but this guy who no one really knows, nah, he can't be eligible immediately. That's where the issue comes into play. And something else that I've mentioned on this show before in terms of talking about the transfer situation in collegiate athletics, a big argument is, well, if your coach leaves, then you should be able to go wherever you want. Well, look, if your coach leaves, then yes, I believe you should be granted immediate eligibility to wherever you want to go. I I'm, I would be okay with if that was a rule baked into it. And, and sometimes when schools get, like in Penn State situation, back with the Jerry Sandusky stuff, they were allowed immediate eligibility wherever they went as Penn State was getting smited by the NCAA. So in in unique situations, this has occurred in the past, but I would be okay with if your head coach that you committed to left and they're over here telling you that they're going to be here and they're over here that, that they're leaving the program, then you should be allowed to transfer as well. Free, you know, no, no, no eligibility, no, no marks against your eligibility. You can go and start wherever you want, somewhere else. Yeah, and this is another issue that you could you could have a whole segment on, but blocking schools from players to transfer to. I have a big problem with that. I think I get it because, you know, if you're Auburn and someone's transferred, you don't want them going to Alabama or Georgia. Lincoln Riley to you right here. Right, but it, it's, it's just one of those things that I hate how coaches have the power to say, yeah, you can't go to school where you want to go. I think that's a bigger issue than anything else but that's more about them having to sit out right away right they're not saying that you can't go there yeah it's saying that you have to sit out yeah and i think for fairness of play that's 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 fine because imagine if vanderbilt has a player become a star you know 
Kent Seals. Imagine he becomes, mm-hmm. you know, Seal Team Ken, all right, mm-hmm. at quarterback. And then all of a sudden, Alabama wants to recruit him. The guy's leaving for Alabama, man. True. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Ken Seals' heart. But, like, if, if that's In this hypothetical opens, situation. Yeah, and then Alabama wants him. Then Alabama gets this stud at quarterback. And then everybody else. It's not only just unfair for Vanderbilt. I think it's unfair for everybody else. That is true. That is true. I just think what I think of are the situations with the cornerback that transferred from Alabama to Georgia in like 2016. I mean, there's no good reason for it. I forget his name. He Isn't had, there stuff going on with Oklahoma right now with Chandler Morris? I believe so. Trying to go to TCU possibly? I so. Yeah, and I think they're blocking him and because yeah. they don't want him. But he probably won't even play at TCU this upcoming year. Right. Isn't it Duggan over there? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think he's the incumbent starter. For sure. So that's... It's it's a very deep and complex issue that will be further murkied by players being able to sign endorsement deals and be able to profit off of their likeness, and we are heading in that direction. For sure. You hear athletic directors say things over these last month like, it's not if, it's when, and how you handle it when it does occur. The NCAA, in my opinion, is losing the battle right now. Oh, no doubt about that. They're getting that. smoked. No doubt They're getting about that. Smoked. They're getting smoked by the Supreme Court. They get <laughs> so, smoked by everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that's going to change the game dramatically. And how and part of it's like the NCAA, I think, is living and we're about to go to break on this, but the NCAA is living, you know, 10, 15 years ago. They're living in the past. And they're not trying to get in front of this potential danger to their business model. They're not prepared for the storm that is coming it's kind of like they're sitting there and a giant storm's coming to the coast and they're like ah it'll be fine nothing's right. gonna happen we're not evacuating and then you know a week later total destruction you know and i'm not saying that the ncaa is going to 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 crumble but it seems like year in and year out there's more and more stuff out there saying that power conferences should break away from the ncaa and do their own thing and i don't know maybe we're not as far away from that as you think maybe we're not as far away from that as you think. On the other side of this break, we'll come back. We'll talk Walker Kessler to Auburn, former North Carolina product. He's an Auburn Tiger now. We'll talk about what that means for the Auburn roster. Where might Auburn go next? They still have a scholarship left. All that here on On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports between collegiate and high school sports content. We've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Coming up at 2.30, we'll have Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast joining us on the show. We'll talk all things A-Day, get some interesting thoughts from him on what he expects to see this weekend with the Auburn Tigers taking the field 40 percent crowd at Auburn Jacob will you be in attendance on Saturday I will not be because I'm headed to Tuscaloosa for the Auburn baseball series ah better support I understand it's going to be my first time traveling for any kind of sporting event outside of Auburn in a year and a month what's Alabama doing with baseball seating at the moment I, I'm not sure they have. There's no. There's been no official announcements. So how are you getting in? I've got if my you ways. Can let people know. I've got my ways. <laughs> no, but I think that it, it's 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 pretty much opened up. That's the same way at Plainsman Park. There's been no official announcement, but 
There's tickets available. There are tickets available. The students aren't getting cut off. All yeah. the stickers are off the seats. All the zip ties are off the seats. So, hey, we're moving back to normal. That's right. That's right. And then you look over at what's happened in Major League Baseball. You look at the Texas Rangers field during opening weekend. Then you look at the Braves as well. And you even hear Kerry on the broadcast on a home run shot from Ronald Acuna yes. Jr. saying, you know, this is something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing here, something along the lines of, you've been waiting to hear this ballpark. And although it may not have been, you know, sold out, crowd, full capacity when that home run was hit against the Phillies, you're still, it's different and it's back well, to normal. I mean, even in some ways, even in like New York and California, fans are being allowed back into stadiums. In California, so. you can go back to amusement parks. You right. just can't scream. No, you can't. You can't scream. <laughs> that 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 is the one thing you can't do. Man, I can't. Ima- I'll, I'll be real. I can't imagine li- living out there right now. No, uh, I don't think I. I'll just say, I, after after all of this, I don't know if I'll I don't know if I'll venture out there. I really don't. <laughs> well, we're, we're we're moving forward now. We're we're like I said, I got my first dose today, so we're we're Good moving stuff. forward. Good stuff. Well, Auburn basketball is moving forward, they with are. or without some guys that transferred out of the program and also declared for the NBA draft. You lose four scholarship guys after you lost Turbo Jones. You lost Javon Franklin. Jamal Johnson, Justin Powell, and Sharif Cooper after the season ended. Massive storm hits Auburn basketball. I had people telling me, or Zach was telling me, that it was it was on, on a show a couple of weeks ago. He said that that was by design. Zach Black, we have the Locked, on, uh, the Locked on Auburn podcast. He'll be coming up once again at 2.30. He's telling me two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that that was all by design. And now you see Auburn bring in these transfers and the players that they've brought in possibly going to be more productive than the guys that left, minus Sharif Cooper and Justin Powell for the time for the short periods of time that you had both of those players. But you bring in a former five-star and Walker Kessler coming to Auburn, and if you're good enough to play at North Carolina, you're a high-profile recruit. And then you bring in two mid-major guys that were extremely productive in their various backcourts with Zeb Jasper at College of Charleston and Wendell Green Jr. at Eastern Kentucky. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Alabama won last week. They had three guys commit, high-profile guys commit, in seven days. They won last week. Bama fans were chirping on social media. Every bit of their excitement very much so deserved. They should be excited. They should be pumped up. Auburn fans going into the weekend, they had to have been wondering, when is our turn? Yesterday was a big win for Auburn fans and the Auburn program. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I don't know if it was necessarily by design, you know, everyone leaving, but it was one of those things where everyone panicking was very short-sighted because as we were talking the about... The transfer portal. Exactly. We talked about it in the first segment. The transfer portal is insanely loaded, and yeah. It's it, more so loaded in basketball than it is in football. Lance and I last week took a look at our top five transfer fits for the college football season, mm-hmm. and we poured over the 24-7 sports transfer portal and where guys are going. And I'll tell you, man, I wasn't overly impressed with a lot of the movement. No. I was like, man, you, you're a former three-star. You really do anything. Okay. You look at college basketball, major <laughs> names are moving. Five and stars. in basketball, And in basketball, it counts a little bit more because there are less players on the field, right? Like there, there's more of a, an opportunity for one player to make all the difference. Just look at Sharif Cooper once again. If you're looking at this from an Auburn lens, there's more of a difference that one player can make than in football one player being able to make. So 
I think the transfer portal has been more dramatic on the college basketball side of things as this season, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think that might have to do with the fact there's no extra eligibility from last year, from 2020, because the winter sports obviously didn't get that extra year of eligibility like the spring sports did. Now, of course, they had the free year now, so it's almost like they're all trying to make the most of it. And I think it's very interesting. As you mentioned, Alabama, they're getting Namari Burnett and Noah Gurley. Those are huge recruits. One's a graduate student, the other one's a sophomore. But let me put this in perspective. If we're comparing these two, analogizing it, Walker Kessler is to Namari Burnett as you know, as also Noah Gurley is to Wendell Green Jr. or uh, Zeb Jasper. Yeah. I mean, it's the same conference. Does Furman still play in the SOCON? I believe they do. College of Charleston's in the SOCON. What's the difference? They both averaged in double digits. They both were uh, All-Americans in their conference, all SOCON players. You know, you, you that Alabama fans, rightfully so, once again, super excited. But I think when you look at the hall, like the recruiting classes have leveled out a bit here when you're talking about the transfers that have been pulled in. Yeah, and I think the, the biggest thing that Auburn doesn't have is the experience that Alabama's going to have. Because the backcourt's the best backcourt in the SEC. Right. And you only have one three-year player if you're Auburn. No, and you have two. You have Devin Cambridge and Allen Flanagan. I should say they have three years of experience. Flanagan and Cambridge have two. And then you have... Uh, I don't know oh, I get, so you mean someone going into their senior yes, season. Yes, I see. correct. Okay. And, it, and it's Zep Jasper. And he hasn't even been with Auburn. Everyone else will have two Young years team. or less. And that's here's the thing. We said that all last season, and it's not something you're going to be able to say this year. This is the year that the moves have to be made. This is the year the strides have to be made. You you can't say that the whole year this year because it's not true anymore. So then my question to you is, does Jabari Smith make up for that lack of experience of alone? Because we talk about teams like Duke and Kentucky every year, and they're one-and-done factories, and we say that these guys... You know, they're, they're lacking experience, but then on the flip side, nobody really cares because they recruited five, you know, top 20 basketball players out of high school, right? They account for half of the top 20 in terms of recruits, right? Auburn has wandered into that area a bit here, I feel for like. Sure. I mean, they're looking at four straight years of first round draft picks, and they might have multiple next year. And two of their starting five next year, right now, are former five-star players it'll be Jabari Smith and then Walker Kessler JT Thor would have been a five-star had he not reclassified I think he's going to come back I've been hearing some things that I'm not going to divulge into because I don't want to jump jump the gun but I'm hearing some things that are making me a little bit more confident he's coming back I mean complete speculation I would be coming back because he has a so much room to grow and it's and he's just because he's young I mean, this once kid, again, let's don't jump the gun here. Yeah. But I, I am feeling more. I am more confident today than I was yesterday and the day before. When you look at Thor, he's a young guy. As you said, he reclassified. He's a five star before he changed to the twenty twenty class. He's young. He needs another year in the weight room. And obviously, I think the big thing that us college basketball fans need to realize, though, to this is to kind of go away from him coming back. It's more about they're all prospects. None of them are fully NBA ready other than guys like Zion that that is an extreme this Sharif year's Cooper, class is pretty weak too yeah Sharif Cooper he's not NBA ready but he's a prospect and he's got the tools to do it 
JT Thor's the same way, but it's a different situation because of how young he is. I think he should come back because of that. And think about this. What if Auburn has a front court of Jabari Smith, JT Thor, and Walker Kessler? I don't know how they'll be able to run the floor, but they'll try. <laughs> They're athletic. <laughs> they are They're athletic. athletic. On the other side of this break, we got Zach Blackerby of Locked on Auburn Podcast. Join us. We'll get his thoughts on A-Day coming up. You don't want to miss it. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Zach Blackerby on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Tuesday afternoon. Hope everybody's doing well on their Tuesday afternoon. Joining us here on On the Line. Zach, how you doing today, my man? I am good, my friend. I am good. Always uh, pumped to be on the line with Noah Gardner. Zach, A-Day coming up this weekend. we got a lot to talk about today, and we want to hear from everybody as well. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Also, find us out there on Facebook as well, airing live on ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama, and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages. A lot to talk about today. Walker Kessler committing to Auburn. Auburn baseball taking on Georgia Tech. Auburn football still preparing for A-Day coming up this Saturday. There is, as I like to say, a smorgasbord of things to talk about here on On the Line. Let's start with football then. A-Day coming up. We've gotten to talk with several players and media availability this week. Javarius Johnson, J.J. Pegues, and then Luke Deal. The two offensive guys in the room, we used to say three offensive guys, but the two offensive (laughs) guys in the room talk about how this offense is different when A-Day rolls around. And we've heard this story every single year. Insert new offensive coordinator here, or if it's Gus Malzahn calling the plays every single year, what is talked about at this time and then in the fall is that, hey man, it looks different. We promise it's different. We're going to be more explosive this year. We hear it every year, but this year it feels more legitimate now that it's A-Day, at least in a couple of days from now, what do you actually expect to see that is different? Uh, I think you're going to see a lot more formation changes. I think you're going to see a lot of folks rotating in and out as far as getting reps and getting things on tape, seeing how guys respond in front of fans and you know, kind of when the stakes are a little bit higher. I think you know, this is still a coaching staff that's learning its players. I mean, Brian Harson and his staff did not recruit the vast majority of this roster. So I think you have to approach spring a little differently. I think you're still getting to learn some of these guys. You didn't go watch these kids in high school and play their games. Uh, you know, Gus Malzahn did. And so it, it's going to be a little different. So I think you're going to see them try to make some guys uncomfortable and see how they respond. And I think the way you do that offensively is you call some plays uh, and go up against defensive situations that you know that probably favor the defense, and, and just see what that looks like, and then vice versa. You know, put a put a cornerback on an island, uh, one versus one, uh, you know, against an opposing receiver on the outside, and let them play ball for it, and just put pressure on some of these guys because Harson is all about the pressure cooker. You know, put these guys in it and see who comes out better. And if you don't come out better, you're not going to play. That's who Brian Harson is. I think in the you know in the past regime, I think relationships were very important, and I think Harson's a relationship guy, but he's going to play the best the best guys on the team, and so play the best eleven. 
Both sides uh, of the yeah, ball. And I don't know if that was necessarily the case in the previous regime. So I think we're going to see his quest to figure out who the best 11 are in every kind of situation. I think that's what we're going to see on Saturday. A lot of things to go over with media availability over these last couple of days, having had the scrimmage on Saturday and getting Brian Harson, but also players on Monday. Let's go back to Saturday then. You were talking about the pressure cooker, the specific player that has been talked about in terms of being put into the pressure cooker by Brian Harson and literally talking about how he handles pressure, Bo Nix. Do you think he has taken steps forward throughout the spring? We haven't gotten to see him yet. Of course, this is a better question to be asked after this Saturday. Yeah. But if you had to guess indications from what we've seen so far, cookie crumbs, what areas in which do you think you will see Bo Nix be better at on Saturday? So I was talking about this on Locked on Auburn earlier in the week, and I think it's an interesting point of view to have here. And some of this could just be it's a different regime, they handle things differently, whatever. That's fine. But in the past, whenever we would hear, okay, defense dominated the scrimmage, we hear that every year, and then it's like, oh, they turned the ball over three or four times. And then they kind of leak out, it's okay, the backup quarterback threw two picks, and the third string running back fumbled twice. And then we're like, oh, okay, cool, the starting quarterback didn't throw any picks. Well, you're hearing that turnovers are happening, but you're not hearing anything about the turnovers, which I think is interesting. And then Harson then talks about how Bo Nix needs to throw the ball away more. <laughs> and so it's like, is Bo Nix throwing the, like a bunch of picks in practice? Is that what's happening? That's kind of the vibe I get. Now, I think you can do that while also him becoming a better quarterback. I, I think both of those things can be true. But I think, uh, I don't know. Maybe I, Auburn's defensive backs are just elite, Zach. And, and I think they are. <laughs> I think they are. I think that's true. But... I do kind of wonder, like, I expected more, you call them cookie crumbs. I mean, I thought I would hear more whispers coming out of how great Bo Nix looked. And we haven't heard that at all. And, no. but, but is that a Harson thing where he just doesn't care? Or is that a, um, I don't know, is, is he performing better? I don't, I don't know the answer to I that question. I haven't thought about that at all, but that is so true. Yeah. I've looked outside the quarterback position for things such as cookie crumbs or whispers, like wondering if Javarius Johnson is a spring fling, and we'll get to that later. But Bo Nix, you're right. We haven't heard we haven't heard anything. No. It's all JJ Pegues, man. It's all JJ Pegues. And, um, I don't know. I'm sure I'm sure it's influenced some, but man, like also wonder if Brian Harson being a quarterback guy, he was a quarterback's coach. On top of that, his offensive coordinator also known for being a quarterback's coach. I wonder if naturally they are going to be harder on that position than anywhere else on the football team, which they should be. They're going to have to be. For Bo Nix to get better, they are going to have to light him up and just force him, force him to be better. And and, and I think that's going to happen over the course of the full offseason. So I, I'm not worried about that. But This is going to ignite the fan base here. Question to you real quick. This oh, is no. going to ignite the fan base. Let's go. Was Bo Nix coddled yeah. under Gus Malzahn? Yeah, but I, I think the whole like position group was like I, I don't think I don't think they did things that make you better from year one to year two consistently. Now, a lot of people say nobody ever got better at quarterback under Gus Malzahn, and that is untrue. That is false. But Jarrett Stidham did not, and Bo Nix did not. I think Nick Marshall might have been the only guy 
to have become a better passer from year one to year two. Uh, Jer- Jeremy Johnson statistically got better, but his starting point was just so low. It's like, can you count that? And then I think Sean White got better also. He just couldn't stay healthy. That's a good point. So um, and then he had off the field issues that sound like he's dealt with and you know he's come out better from. So uh, I, I don't think that's fully true. Um, but was he coddled last year? I don't. I don't know if he fully won the job as a freshman, if I'm being honest with you. And just, you know, I I became pretty close with the Joey Gatewood camp, so I'm not super objective when I say that. But I'm kind of curious, like, how much better was Bo Nix and Joey Gatewood? And we've heard from former players, and it's like, it sounded like it was pretty close. And they went with the younger guy. And I'm all for doing what you think is best for your team down the road, as well as, like, if it's close now, and it's definitely better down the road. Like, I'm fine with you making that decision, but... Um, was he coddled? Time. Coddled has a negative connotation to it, but I do think Bo Nix has been treated differently than other quarterbacks would be. I have a hard time believing, based on what we've seen, what little we've seen of Joey Gatewood at Kentucky, that he is in the same stratosphere, in the same in the same plane as Bo Nix as a passer. And a lot of folks are really critical of Bo Nix as a passer. Yeah, I don't know if we I, ever saw it out of Joey Gatewood, even while he was at Auburn. Well, I think I think passer and quarterback are two different things. And I think we both can agree on that. Certainly. Um, Kentucky quarterbacks can't throw the football. They can run the ball, though. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it's like, I, I don't think we know the answer to that fully. I think we'll get a lot more information about how to answer that comparison this year when Joey gets a chance for you know to, to start for the job and all of that. But I think when you look at what Auburn fans wanted Gus Malzahn to run at Auburn, I think Joey Gaywood made more sense. The issue here is, I don't think uh, I don't think Gus Malzahn wanted a quarterback that could run the ball. I think he wanted to pass it. When you look at guys that he recruited, I think uh, for the most part he went with guys that were able to move around, but they would much rather throw than run. And like it's this weird thing that Auburn fans just held on to for pretty much the last six years of his time as head coach because he had two years of Nick Marshall, and they're like, well, that was awesome. We need running quarterbacks. Zone read. Let's go do that over and over again. Can then, I point something then we out never, to then you? We never, then we never saw it again. Chris Todd, Barrett Trotter were his other two quarterbacks while at Auburn. And then there was Cam Newton. Right. And then before that, now you're really having me have to do some research here, but I wouldn't be shocked if what we saw at Tulsa was pass first. It was pass first. Yeah, it was pass first by a lot. So, so did Nick Marshall happen by accident? Yeah, I think so. I think so, and you know Nick Marshall showed up just a few weeks before the season started, and it sounds like he just impressed everyone, and they kind of got this zone read thing, and it was the perfect storm of of Trey Mason and Greg Robinson and and all of that. But it, I never understood the Auburn fan base's fascination with Gus Malzahn needs a mobile quarterback when the vast majority of his time, and we've got a decade's worth of of data here now. When you look at it, it's like. Cam Newton, take that out because there's only one Cam Newton. The anomaly is Nick Marshall. And that's what Auburn fans thought that he was trying to get back to. And then he kind of got peer pressured by the fan base to get guys like John Franklin III. And then everybody thought Jeremy Johnson was his like super athletic mobile quarterback because he was big and strong. And that's not true. He had a hard time moving around at all. So he was a pass first guy. Um, so yeah, that was a weird, I don't know how we got off on this topic, but that's something that just kind of was, I thought was very odd for the last half decade. Everyone's like, Gus needs a mobile quarterback. It's like, Gus doesn't want a mobile quarterback or he would have gotten one. This is crazy. 
that had never occurred to me to this moment I agree with you the types of quarterbacks he obviously was recruiting was indicative that he wanted that style of quarterback it has never quite come to this point now full circle where I'm like wow Nick Marshall to Auburn was an accident or that offensive scheme was an accident as uh, an yeah. anomaly I think so I think it was yeah that is that is bizarre well let's let's bring it back to the present day then and let's let's get out of 2013 and and, and the Gus Malzahn tenure where we're at right now Javarius Johnson seems to be the apple of everyone's eye both sides of the football if you're not talking about J.J. Pegues because everybody wants to ask about J.J. Pegues what's he doing there's an article written every week about J.J. Pegues and I understand why it well, the gets JJ, clicks the J.J. Pegues hype now is way more interesting to me as a defensive tackle with a ton of upside versus a 300 pound gadget guy so like I I get it now and we've been talking about it, you know, since the tail end of last year on Locked On Auburn. Like JJ Pegues is a defensive lineman that is playing tight end, and we kind of joked about it, where it's like, not to bring up Gus again, but it's like, okay, when Gus did it, it was weird, and then in the first open practice session, we talked about it on the pod, but it was like, if if Harson consistently puts JJ Pegues out in the slot, I'll all of a sudden be like, okay, maybe it makes sense. Maybe it's the smart thing to do. And then he started doing it. It's like, oh, wow, he's actually doing it. Like, what am I missing here? And then this this news breaks. And it's like, okay, got it. I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and he does look like he belongs more to the defensive line. Where do you think he slots in? I don't think he's a nose tackle. He's missing 30 pounds to be a nose tackle, right? Um, I think it depends. I, I don't fully – I don't think you're going to see like a, a zero technique – a lot where the defensive lineman is head up the center. And if you do that, obviously you're going to need a bigger bodied guy, but I think you're going to see a lot of like inside shoulder of the guard, outside shoulder of the guard. I mean, that's what we saw with, um, you think you're going to see more of what has trended in the NFL to have two defensive tackles, no down defensive ends and two outside linebackers. Yeah, like a two four five yes. kind of thing. And that's what we saw Derek Mason do with kind of the limited open time that we've seen so far. I think that two four five may be your base, but we also may see a lot of like two three six if they want to go more with that version of the nickel. You know what I mean? So I think that is something that you're gonna see a lot of. Yeah. And so if you do that, you don't need a three hundred and thirty pound nose guard because they're going to be lined up more you need two disruptive defensive tackles yeah and disruptive really means just don't get pushed backwards in this kind of scheme it's not penetration is not as important in this type of system because your penetration yeah yeah just don't get pushed backwards let your linebackers your four linebackers make tackles behind you yeah absolutely i'm assuming pegis is a backup piece in in our revised d-line depth chart um right now but but based on the criteria that you just said and I'm not I'm not saying that you're wrong but I'm just just purely discussion here I think it's pretty hard to push JJ Pegues backwards um so right now it looks like he lined up with the twos and threes on Saturday going against the twos and threes now, like there was a picture that the university put out in their press release information and it's on auburnundercover.com with um him going up against Jaleel Irvin so that would mean he's going, you know, right. twos versus twos or threes versus wherever Jaleel Irvin's lined up at these days. So <laughs> that tells me one, he's on the inside because he's going up against a guard, and two, that he's not starting currently. But he uh, he got two sacks and a tackle for a loss apparently. So like that's obviously something that's exciting and something you want to you know sounds like he won the day, which is great. But uh, 
Would I be shocked if J.J. Pegues was in the starting rotation come fall? No, absolutely not. I think I think we're going to see it. I think we will see him play very relevant snaps in passing situations early, early in the season. Even as far as starting lineup. who Who's the number two guy? I mean, because I keep waiting to hear stuff from, from Andre Butler. You're waiting on Lee Hunter. You're waiting on Lee Hunter. I, I think that's the answer. But then the question is like, okay, let's say Lee Hunter is the starting other down lineman next to Truesdale. When it's third and eight, I do not want Truesdale on the field. No, definitely so, not. But I want Lee Hunter on the field. And then it's like, okay, is that where Zekevious Walker plays at? I think so. And I then think maybe he showed Pegues. his ability to pass rush. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, because I don't see him standing up as much. You may see it a little bit, but there's just so many guys out there. So maybe maybe that's how he gets his path to playing time. And then later in games when you need to switch the rotation out, maybe you put him in for Hunter. I think I think that is J.J. Pegues' path to playing time. Because right now, like there's been dudes out there that just haven't grabbed that opportunity yet. Is there a spring fling right now? amongst players and maybe this is also a question better served after a day but do you think there's a spring fling because the player that I'm talking about right now and, I, and I've mentioned this already Javarius Johnson I, I I know that there are two receivers coming back Chedrick Jackson and Xavier Capers are going to return mm-hmm. to this room right on top of that Elijah Canyon was another guy at the start of the spring people wanted to talk about Malcolm Johnson and now people were also talking about Javarius Johnson combined with Malcolm Johnson. Nobody's talking about Malcolm Johnson anymore. Is, is Javarius Johnson a spring, uh, a spring fling, or is this or is this legit? I love Malcolm Johnson Jr. So I'm just going to put that out there. I'm talking about him. I'm uh, I'm the conductor. When you came into work this morning, did you notice the train in the uh, parking lot? I did oh, not. That's my uh, that's my hype train for uh, for Malcolm <laughs> Johnson Jr. I, I hate you missed that. No, all joking aside, I, I guess the spring fling is Javarius Johnson. Or it's J.J. Pegues. I mean, there's a chance he moves to the defensive side of the ball and does nothing. But I feel like I feel like the infatuation with J.J. Pegues is deeper than spring. I feel like it's happened since you know he committed to Auburn. So uh, I guess I guess by the criteria of what a spring fling is, I guess it would have to be him, Javaris Johnson, almost by default, just because they went to him so often in the open practice period, where I think there's value in that. But you believe that Javaris Johnson has the ability to climb into this starting rotation of receivers. I do, yeah. And so that's like, it, so does, So I don't know if there is a spring fling, man. I don't know. There's just not really anybody that we're hearing stuff so much about where it's like, oh, yes, I can't wait to see this guy. But also, like, you're not really hearing much of anything. That's a good point. That's so a good point. I don't know. It's a different, it's a different time in Auburn football it is it's a more intriguing time I feel like it's weird they've given us more access without as much information but I feel like we don't have anything to hold on to right now and I'd I'd rather it be this way than the other way 100% Zach I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today tell everybody where they can find you yeah check out Locked on Auburn wherever you get your podcast and I'm on all the socials at Z Blackerby thanks buddy Jacob Hillman joins me on the other side of this break. That was Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast. We'll be back in just a moment here on On the Line. Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
Got about a minute left in hour number one of the show. It's been a good show so far. We've talked A Day. We got Zach Blackerby in that previous segment of the Locked On Auburn podcast. If you missed any of the show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station the Max Roundtable on the line the drive with Bill Cameron analysis news and more seven hours of local sports talk that's all on ESPN 106.7 find the website on ESPNAU.com another location one of many that you can find the on the line podcast Noah Gardner Jacob Hillman here with you with about a minute left here in hour number one Jacob big baseball game tonight yeah, Auburn heads to Atlanta to face off against Georgia Tech. Sophomore right-handed pitcher Trace Bright starting a 2-3 record, 7.28 ERA, going up against a freshman from Georgia Tech, Marquise Grissom Jr. 0-0, 0.00. So Auburn looking at a youngster with the bats. They need to get off to a hot start and probably rattle the young man. I really made this, get, get things rolling. I made this point on the show yesterday. Don't let Georgia Tech's record fool you. This is a top 25 baseball mm-hmm. team. All ACC teams pretty much just play one non-conference series, and that's why the records look like only a couple of games above 500. Yeah, and the ACC is a heck of a baseball conference. And they're 12 and nine in ACC play. Auburn is one and 11 in the SEC. But we'll talk about more of this game later on in the show, and you'll you've got some good takes on it that that I think everybody should be looking forward to. We'll be back in just a few moments for hour number two of On the Line. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Good show so far and you missed any of it. Go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Hope everybody's having a good Tuesday afternoon. Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on the show. We've talked a lot of Auburn football here so far. Head Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast with us today. We've got Walker Kessler and Auburn baseball talk coming up for a large portion of this hour number two. We'll also talk a little bit more about A-Day. Also, ESPN released its preseason FPI top 10. There was a team in there that I cringed (laughs) when I saw it. I said, what is going on, man? And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about all that later. But we're going to start off hour number two going to the phone lines. And we've got Matt on the line with us. Matt. I'm sorry, my man. Sometimes it's hard to hear on that <laughs> phone when you pick it up and there's all this other stuff going on. For some reason, I thought your name was Map, and so uh, I appreciate you hopping on with us, my man. Hey, it's good to be with you, Noah. Hey, um, what do you think about Garrison Brooks going into the transfer portal as a center, former Auburn High center? What do you think he'd be maybe going? You know, there's a lot of teams that are on his list like it would be for somebody that, that is high profile like Garrison Brooks. I'll tell you this, I doubt he's coming to Auburn. I highly doubt he's coming to Auburn. Auburn didn't really seem to be a major player for the guy when he was coming out of high school, and I don't really expect that to change 
in during his recruitment and I won't I won't go into you know great detail on that but I'll, I'll just say I don't think that he's going to be coming to Auburn but we've seen some other names I think uh, Arizona State and Georgetown for some reason are coming to mind at the moment Jacob do you have anything to add to that list yeah Mississippi State there's there's rumors his, about his, them yeah his dad is still an assistant at Mississippi State so I wouldn't be shocked if he went to go and play ball at Mississippi State as well gotcha all right thanks guys appreciate it Matt that was Matt who was jumping on the line with us here if you want to call in you got anything for us, call in at 334-321-1390. Phone lines are open. We want to hear from you. I think that's a great question. Let's start off hour number two with it. Dive into Garrison Brooks here for me. Yeah, Garrison, he was kind of the guy that played in front of Walker Kessler last year because if you look at you know, Kessler, it's just a stat. You notice only 8.8 minutes per game. Well, like I said, that's because he was behind Garrison Brooks, and that's kind of one of two reasons why fans were thinking, okay, Kessler might return to North Carolina for next season because of Brooks transferring out and new head coach Hubert Davis, but Kessler ultimately decided to come to Auburn, and it's going to be interesting to see if Brooks makes the move into the SEC, like you said, where his dad's an assistant coach at Mississippi State. I I think he's a solid player. He's one of those players that hasn't quite flourished to his max potential, I would say, at North Carolina. But that's something he could certainly do elsewhere, I think. And at six foot ten, as a power forward slash center, the guy can make it to the next level. He possesses the right frame, the right body, and I believe the right skill sets to play at the next level. Doesn't really possess much of a jump shot beyond the mid range game and beyond facing up in that. 10 foot range maybe a little bit beyond that but he really doesn't offer a whole lot more outside of outside of the high post and a little bit below that or or all the way below that to the baseline I don't don't think I think that's his sphere a little truncated three-point line just bring it into the high post and and lower than that but he's excellent post score can play with his back to the basket he's he's an athlete he's a talented player and he's in I'll say this one of the best players I've ever seen in person as well so garrison brooks certainly is is going to be a highly sought after he's up there he's probably ah, i i don't know completely everybody in college basketball that's in the transfer portal but if i had to bet garrison brooks would be in a top would be in my top five list well of yeah players out there especially at this point because a lot yep. of guys have committed at this point like xavier pinson so i he, even for think sure. if the transfer portal was full from the start if he had entered at the beginning I think you could have made an argument to have the guy in the top five. Yeah, he's absolutely, potential-wise, he can bring a big difference for a basketball team. And going a little bit further into what you were saying, has it completely recognized that potential yet? I mean, he was a preseason all, like the SEC, or ACC, excuse me, the ACC Player of the Year preseason, and he averaged a little, 10 points uh, per yeah, game. A little over 10 points a game. He obviously is not an NBA selection if he's returning for another year of college basketball, but that can change. We've seen four or five-year players be able to find their way into the NBA if they have an outstanding, undeniable, outrageously successful final year they can get drafted in the second round. We've seen it. Upperclassmen get drafted like that, but he's going to have to have an outrageously successful season, I believe, to to be able to make it to that next level and make it to the... uh, make it to the NBA but Garrison Brooks definitely one of the hotter names out there I do not think Auburn would be in the running for Garrison Brooks despite the fact that some reporters have and I'm not talking about Auburn reporters I'm talking about national reporters when he entered the portal said that Auburn might be in the running for him 
Uh, now that Walker Kessler is an Auburn Tiger, I do not believe that that is the case. Yeah, if Kessler had decided to go back to UNC or he decided to go to Gonzaga, I think there's definitely a potential for that. I'm still not sure that would have happened because of what Auburn has returning. I, I think at this point, Auburn's focused on guards. I'm not sure if they're going to go for necessarily another big man because, you know, we saw what happened last year. I believe Auburn's last spot is for a guard. The front court is loaded. Absolutely. And loaded. The, the front court might be one of the best in college basketball next season. I would agree with that. Just in terms of what's been recruited, I would agree with that. It's definitely got to be up there. you got two five-stars starting at the four and the five. And then you've got a guy like Alan Flanagan who might start at the three if JT Thor is not to come back. Because I think Smith can play the three. I don't know if he's going to necessarily be the best player at that position, but I think you, know, you can have a starting lineup a flan against Smith at whatever whatever point guard it is, Green or or Jasper. We're not sure who's going to start there. But then you got Flanagan, Smith, Thor, and Kessler. And even if it's Jalen Williams over Kessler, which I don't see that happening. Nothing against Devin Cambridge. That dude better not start. Well, see, I'm trying, I mean, <laughs> the whole thing is, I mean, who are you going to start at the two guard if, you know, if JT Thor doesn't start or... I was with Zach on the Locked on Auburn podcast. I was recording with him, and he made a very valid point. Zepp Jasper is a combo guard. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. The way that he phrased it to me, I really wouldn't be shocked if Zepp Jasper ended up at the two guards. Yeah. Outstanding defender. Where does Bruce like to put his best defender in the backcourt? That is true. At the two guard spot. He made all that very, very, very real to me. I was like, that. that's, that's very true. And you look at the trend of point guards that he's brought in through the door it's it's jared harper like players all of his point guards are less than six feet tall they all have great handles that i can allow that can allow them to get anywhere on the floor and they typically can shoot the three ball well guess who that is it's wendell green jr so he's probably the starting point guard for auburn next season then you're trying to figure out where the two's at And if you want to go with a large lineup then you go with alan then, then you go with alan flanagan if you want to go with a little bit smaller of a lineup then alan flanagan ends up at the three but then JT Thor's coming off the bench, which I'm having a hard time imagining That's the world my... where JT Thor comes off the bench. I personally, and I said this on the podcast as well, I personally see Alan Flanagan more as a two than I do as a three. I, agree I with see that. Alan Flanagan as a Jimmy Butler like player for those people yep. out there that watch the NBA. Outstanding defender. In fact, that was what he came into college basketball. He came into the Auburn program first as an outstanding defender we've seen his offensive game develop through his two years on the planes jimmy butler enters the nba defense was the name of the game for him his offensive game is what has developed along the way alan flanagan same boat i see him as the three and d wing guy he can play small forward in college basketball if alan flanagan were to go to the nba not so sure if he'd be a small forward in today's game no i mean he's six six so he's not there's a big difference between him and someone in the NBA who is like 6'8", 6'9", playing the small forward position, right. which you see more and more in these these days. Right. I mean, here, here's the thing. He goes from averaging 3.2 points per game his freshman year to 14.3 his sophomore season in a year where he's mostly playing out of position. And that's the whole thing is you put him at that two guard or even the three guard or, or, or the forward because he can play either of those much better than he can play the point guard position. We... I'm, this has been hammered all throughout the season. He's out of position. He's out of position. Well, he doesn't have to be anymore. And that's why next year, I think, you get you just start your best five, whether it being Flanagan, Thor, Smith, and Kessler. You've got this insanely tall lineup. And here's the thing. 
it can start like that, and then you might not necessarily like that lineup and change it up later in the season or not play it as much throughout the game. It'll also be easier for the players to see, hey, this isn't working. For sure. And I really think that Auburn's going to have a lot of options. Because like you said, Zeb Jasper, he is a combo guard. And I don't know if I want him necessarily to start at the two because I want him to be that solid backup point guard. Or And if Wendell Green's not it, then he can be the starter as well. We don't really know enough about them. You know whose name nobody's talking about in all this? Trey Alexander's still a top 100 You're right. recruit. You're He's right. a top 75 recruit in college right. basketball, according to most services. Trey Alexander was still on the list, nominated to be a McDonald's All-American. He's not going to be a McDonald's All-American. Nominated to be a McDonald's All-American, though. He's still a high-profile shooting guard coming in that this program has to be excited about. So he's going to play a lot. I'm wondering how Devin Cambridge fits into all this. Chris the guy Moore. who has... He was still already so so low on the depth chart. Well, I think that it's one of those things where he provided valuable minutes where where he I think he can still do that. And he's kind of that spark plug that you look for. I think Devin Cambridge is also that, but they do it in different ways. Chris Moore is a player who's going to have to bide his time because Jabari Smith's gone after this year and Chris Moore plays the same position. JT Thor's probably gone after this next year. Once again, I think he's coming back, but JT Thor, say he comes back. JT Thor's gone after this year, I, I would say. And then looking also, Walker Kessler, I wonder how long he's in college as well, because of course he possesses the NBA size. Yeah, it's just hard Due to, to playing time. He didn't get the he, he didn't get the opportunity to that's go what I'm one say. And done. It's hard to say whether he will that's be also gone not this the year. North Carolina model either. The North Carolina model is not one and done's. They Good can point. have one and done's, but it's typically not the case. They typically do have guys go two, three, four years. Cameron Johnson. Yeah. And he's in the NBA now with the Suns, but you're right. I don't know what Kessler's plan is or if he'll even pan out to be that kind of player here at Auburn in the in his first year, the I think he will. The position did need a facelift, though. For sure, I'll be real. After uh, maybe Auburn saw what they were getting out of Baba Tunde, and they're like, "Well, we need to go in a different direction." Well, because I think it's kind of it works out perfectly because Jalen Williams can play the four as well, so you can kind of move these guys around like crazy. Where you have positionless basketball, exactly. Because and I'll go back to this: you're you're one hundred percent spot on right now with these guys being able to be moved around everywhere two guys that are extremely versatile in what they do you've already mentioned Jabari Smith who I see more as a four but I I definitely agree with you Auburn has two Kevin Durant's on their roster and I don't Mm -hmm. mean that necessarily in their caliber of play but more in their play style because they're both six foot ten or taller and Jabari Smith and JT Thor they're super thin guys Kevin Durant is super thin first of all right and they all like to play the game away from the basket. They're all they they'll stretch the floor. They're stretch fours, face up. If you want to say that, I see more face up power forwards as guys that are that are closer to the rim than maybe a stretch four. Stretch four is going to be able to pop a three. Mm-hmm. And I see pick and pop situations. I see these guys being able to run the floor, sometimes trailing threes, all, all these different ways to get these guys incorporated into the offense. With that being said, though, I, th- I think all of them possess. I think JT Thor. Not as much, but Jabbar Smith and JT Thor both possess the ability to shoot the basketball at a high level. And with a year for JT Thor to develop and get more comfortable playing at the collegiate game, you got to remember the three-point line moved back for JT Thor this year. Good point. It's like, and he still shot 30% from the field from from three, that is. Well, see, and, so, and that's efficient enough for a four-man or even a three-man yep. that's not necessarily 
the 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 shooter that you would expect. JT Thor is not your typical three if he's at that position. And Guy's making one out of three three-pointers per game. I'll right. take that. Exactly, because it's not like he's going to be shooting 10 a game. So I really think that you've got, as we were saying, the positionless basketball with Dylan Carwell and Walker Kessler solidly at the center position. Everywhere else, it's Walker just Kessler's so not much moving, to do. Yeah. No, and neither is Dylan, even if he does make miraculous threes, turn around with the buzzer sounding, but... Yeah, man, I'll tell you two players that I just don't know how they get on the floor this year. It's amazing to me, but Dylan Cardwell and uh, – or not Dylan Cardwell, Babatunde, Akimbola, and Devin Cambridge. Uh, man, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Does Cambridge get the nod over Alexander? He could. I think he could. There's more room for Devin Cambridge to get onto the floor than, than for the centers. Yeah. Front court, you're that's gonna what, want. That's what I was gonna say. The back court isn't. This is a ten man rotation. Yeah, it's it not. It is what so you hard want. to project this right now. There could be another player coming to Auburn next year. Oh, absolutely. I think that there's still another scholarship available. Where do you think Auburn's going with that? There's a lot of guys that Auburn's looking at. Ty Ty Washington. There's still talks of Scoot Henderson reclassifying. I'm where, not, do you, where do you where do you feel about what, what what do you feel about that? I'm not too. I, I don't even know if it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not sure if he wants it to happen. He doesn't really benefit that much from playing another year of high school ball, but I still just, I don't know. The the way that the way the classes kind of shake Some guys up, just aren't ready to go to college see, yet. And he's not even committed anywhere. And I'm not even talking about his play. He's, he's ready to play college basketball, yeah. I'm sure. But I'm saying, like, some people just mentally, emotionally aren't ready to go and play college basketball For yet. Sure. And that's not me saying that he's a problem child, but, like, some guys are just like, Man, I want another year in high yeah. school. I want to keep growing up. I don't want to rush. I don't want to rush out of here. Some guys well, just aren't ready, especially for someone that watched his older teammates, his older friends probably go through COVID last year, and he's like, I don't want to miss out on that kind of stuff because he's probably saw how 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 much that sucked. So, you know, that's something that goes into a high school kid's mind. You never know. But as I said, I mean, so you don't think Auburn should put all their eggs in a basket on Scoot Henderson? You think they should go elsewhere? Because well, here's the issue: I'm if also you're, if you're banking on Scoot Henderson, you lose Ty Ty Washington. You're right, and I also don't think that Auburn's in a position where if you don't get another, I think everything from now on is just icing on the cake. Because I think Auburn's it's got really the two sweet guards. icing if you got those two players to come to Auburn. Absolutely, that's really sweet icing. Because because Wendell Green Jr. might lose his starting job in our eyes if they were to get one of those two guys. Right. Because that's the thing is that I think Auburn's set. As you said, looking at this roster right now, it's a ten-man rotation. Of course, that'll probably end up getting cut down by SEC play to eight guys. I doubt that. Really? You think Bruce Pearl has you think always Bruce... been a man of 10 rotations at Auburn. Yeah. Always. I guess I'm looking at this year too much when everybody says that to me. And I'm and like, stuff. what are y'all looking at? This guy's not Coach K. He always runs 10 deep in yeah, the SEC does. play. And, and also define rotation right. here. Okay. Do you mean like only eight guys play? Because that's just not true. Now, Duke no. does that. Auburn doesn't do that. They will play di- 10 different guys with five plus minutes I, at a basketball yeah, game. Yeah. I was thinking healthier minutes for 10 guys but you're right you're right because here's the thing sure there's an eight-man rotation of guys that'll play at least 15 minutes that's my thought there is a 10-man rotation of guys that will at least play five or seven minutes well because i think that's the whole thing when you come back to the devin cambridge conversation he can provide a spark like that you know put him in for five seven minutes he makes two or three threes okay you're playing 15 minutes today because you're you're on your game you provided the spark does provide an interesting luxury for auburn ride the hot hand right could be the wheel of the hot hand when you're talking about Auburn's basketball team. Next well, year. and then another good thing is there's so thing many is, different ways to look at this squad. 
because you bring the experience with Zepp Jasper, and he's the only player that has three years of experience of college basketball. And whether he's coming off the bench, whether he's playing point guard and shooting guard, whatever he's doing, I think he's going to be a great role player that doesn't feel like a role player because I think he's going to be that good. As Shrek would say, Auburn basketball is like an onion, and there's a lot of layers to peel back <laughs> yeah. with this program right now. And it's exciting. Every every step of the way, it's exciting. Auburn had a big win yesterday with Walker Kessler choosing the Tigers. We talk Auburn baseball on the other side of this break. You don't want to miss it. Don't go anywhere. Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're listening to On the Line. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama, on foxsports983.com, and on Facebook. That's foxsports983.com. Baseball, you're uh, – I just said baseball, you're the <laughs> – <laughs> Jacob, you're the kind of guy – who's going to go to every baseball game he can. Correct. Uh, so now uh, your nickname from now on is going to be baseball. <laughs> I, I, I am baseball. Yeah, we, we will call you baseball <laughs> or something. I don't know. Baseball, you're the guy that's going to go to every baseball game. Really? Um, you're, you, you love some Auburn baseball, some Braves baseball. You pretty much go to every game, and that's not an exaggeration. That is not an exaggeration. It is not. Is this season... Where, where is it at right now? Auburn's taking on number 20 Georgia Tech today. That's about the highest that we've seen Georgia Tech ranked. They are just a few games above 500, but don't be deceived. A few games above 500 in the ACC, you're a tournament team and you're a top 25 team in Georgia Tech's case because you're playing an entire, almost all ACC schedule because there are so many teams in the ACC. That's the only teams they play. They have one non-conference series and it's sometimes against a good team. This Georgia Tech team has been playing, non- uh, has been playing conference teams since March right since the since early march we've been seeing this georgia tech team playing well, even before that i'd say even late february yeah. maybe they've been playing some acc teams because they really just had the first weekend but where is this baseball team at after suffering that sweep against mississippi state that i'll be honest with you felt like the worst sweep that auburn has taken so far and it, and, and it has came at a bad time because as i mapped out on the show yesterday for folks and kind of not the neatest way but just mapping it out if auburn goes Two out of three against every SEC team left, they still only get to 13 wins in conference play, which the worst (laughs) Auburn team that we've seen in recent memory to go to the postseason was a 14-win SEC team that did end up going to Omaha, but they almost missed the NCAA tournament that year too back in 2019. 13 wins is definitely the, I mean, that is the worst you can do in SEC play and make it to Does 13 get this Auburn team in? I, honestly, I think because of where they're at now, it would because of recency bias and they'd be th- hot. What they have you done for me roll. lately? It's not like if you were if you were hot to start and then you finished thirteen and seventeen, then I think you would be in trouble. But all right, I've been saying the thresholds at fourteen. I'll I'll budge a little bit to go down to thirteen, but I still now, think and it's I'll, hard to do that. That's what I was gonna say. I'll say I'm not saying they would, but I think like you know because they're one and eleven right now. If they win all of those games, then I think they would get some slack because. Because you also of that. have to look at the the teams that they've played, and you do at least still have the one win right. over Arkansas. Yeah, that does help a little bit. Well, and here's another thing: if you go two out of three against Florida, that's pretty solid. The only issue is your RPI. 
You also consider this, you take two out of three against a South Carolina team that is trending upwards. I shouldn't even say trending upwards. They are skyrocketing upwards. Yeah, and here's the thing. I just, you know, you see Georgia, they take two out of three at Vandy this past weekend. You traveled to them and Georgia in turned May. their season around this weekend. They did. And, I mean, Auburn on WarrenNolan.com, RPI, 104. It's not good. And like I said. But if you take two out of three against everybody left on your schedule, that improves tremendously. Correct. And it's also looking at the fact that some of the losses are against very good teams. You also get the SEC tournament as well as a chance to earn some other victories that can maybe play yourself into the NCAA tournament. Right. And and what I'll say about this team right now, it's... Like, is it over? It, it has, has the ship sailed no, already? I won't say it has completely, but yeah, it's almost there. So Auburn's needing to jump into their, like, their... Uh, their you know spare boat to try and speed up yeah that's kind of where it's at this team is almost as disappointing as it can get (laughs) i think i think it could be a little bit more i dash jacob hillman this team is almost as disappointing well think about it it. think about it you grab one from texas a&m in round rock getting that 16 to 1 win against boston college was a big deal but then it's look at the losses okay well are we going to see auburn in the NCAA tournament this year no no, it's very possible you don't see them in the SEC tournament. I think they'll get to the SEC tournament because the schedule gets weaker, and I think they're going to beat some teams that they're competing with for those spots, like LSU, like Missouri. How do they do that? What's that blueprint then? Oh, it's all about the pitching, I think. the hitting, Is it possible for the pitching? Like, Is it reasonable to believe that this team can actually improve? We're, we are midway through the season. So I think, Beyond that point. I think starting pitching, it's all about the consistency. Because we saw what Cody Greenhill did against Arkansas. We did, saw what he did against Ole Miss. And he, even against Mississippi State, he wasn't terrible. It was one of his worst outings in the SEC play. But Mississippi State's a great hitting team. Jack Owen had a great outing against Arkansas. Not so much against Mississippi State. Justin Gonzalez, we saw what happened on Sunday. Ten runs in the first inning. Here's the thing. Make it through the first inning. Here's the thing. Exactly. Two-thirds. Yeah. The thing is, it's all about consistency with the starting rotation and someone has got to step up in the bullpen. Someone's got to take the reins. Other than and, Mason Barnett. Yeah, and, and hey, even even Mason hasn't been as, as consistent the last few weeks ever since he got taken out of the starting rotation. So, hey, who knows? We might see him starting on Sunday, or Saturday against that Alabama. That was the move that I never quite understood, why Gonzalez is starting instead of Barnett. I know you need the bullpen help, but... Yeah, I get. I mean, I understand it, but I, I know say, you need the bullpen help. But there's, it's it's almost like there's been so many issues that you just kind of have to try different things. And so far, nothing's worked. And I really think that when you look at the bullpen, the only guy that's really been successful is Carson Skipper, and he's had his issues. He's had injuries as well. So I I, I really think that when it comes down to it, you look at guys like Skipper. You look at guys like Richard Fitz. How close does Almer get to 13 wins? Oh that oh man, that's a tough question. I think then that, do you think they get to ten in the SEC? I think they can get to ten for sure. Because so you don't see Auburn getting swept ever again. Now that okay. Georgia and I man, this weekend in Alabama. I think those two road series are tough. I think you grab one from Florida because Florida, they are one of those teams that kind of proving my point right now. I think the ship may have sailed. I don't think it sailed because there is a path back yet. The, the, I like was, there's still time, but very little. You if have to I was, be near perfect. Because what I'm what I was gonna say was I think that even if they get swept again, I think they can get a sweep elsewhere. 
whether it's LSU, A&M, or Missouri. I think those three teams, because LSU and A&M are home, and Missouri's just, they're not good. I think you can sweep any of those three teams. And those are the back hand of, back uh, half of the schedule, not half, but the last three series. They are. You've got three more Final series stretch. until then to figure it out. Now, of course, Alabama, it's being reported. Connor Prelip's going to be back on Saturday. Sharif for game Cooper two. and Auburn they, yeah, in baseball. Exactly. Prelip is potentially number one overall pick. Auburn's got to get something going this weekend. It's going to start tonight at Georgia Tech. In a couple of segments, I'll get your thoughts on tonight's ballgame because you do have a you have some good takes about tonight's ballgame, about it being very important tonight. Mm-hmm. On the other side of this break, we'll come back. We'll talk ESPN's FBI preseason top ten. Stay with us here on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got 30 minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron. ESPN put out their preseason top 10 FPI and it is not I, I, I'm missing something. I'm, I, I must have missed the memo on a team in that top 10. I must have. I, I, I have no idea. But here, here it goes. Preseason ESPN FBI top 10. I said FPI, right? For some reason, I keep saying in my head, FBI is what I keep hearing. But <laughs> number one, Alabama. Two, Oklahoma, which I really like. I'm high up on this Oklahoma team going into this year. We'll get to that later. Three, Clemson. Four, yes, four, Iowa State. That's, that's not as crazy as it gets. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Five, Ohio State. I, I never thought I'd see on, on a top 10 list Iowa State in front of Ohio State, but there it is. Six, Texas A&M. Seven, Georgia. Still, the A&M over the Georgia part. Like I, I don't know what all goes into this FPI thing. I don't. And we're going to talk about this like it's a rankings list, like if it was a poll. Like We're going to trans- transition to this to be able to talk about the, the upcoming year as a whole and to preview it. But get this. After Georgia at seven, eight, Mississippi State. Not Mississippi. Mississippi State. How many games they win last year? Like two? Two or three. What? Nine, Oklahoma State, and ten, Penn State. Which I see it with a, with about half of this list, a little bit more than half of this list, that be included in the top ten. And the FBI accounts for much more than just you know, how good do you think these yeah. teams are going to be? It, it's, it, it's, it's a projection. A, yeah, it's a bad projection. Uh, Auburn is at 16. It's a bad projection. So that's interesting. You're telling me that, like, this list is trying to tell me that Mississippi State is supposedly more inclined to be better than 90%, 95% of college football. Well, see, what I, see, I'm looking at the, the ESPN website, and what it is is kind of a projected wins and losses. They're projected to go 8 and so it's 8.2 and 3.9, so about 8 and 4. I mean, I don't see that. But how does that put you in the top 10? Top 8? Well. The number 8 team in the country doesn't win 8 games. Yeah, it says, yeah, it says Oklahoma State 8 and 4.2. Auburn's projected 6.9 and 5 and 5.2. So 7 and 5. Yeah. Which I disagree with vehemently. There's no way. Look, Auburn is, is going to finish. I'll go ahead. I'll say it right now. I think Auburn right now. What, and I got to see A-Day first. I think Auburn's at least, yes, at least, Auburn will not finish worse than this. Will not book it right here. Unless, like, barring, like, 
terrible injury or something. Right? I, once again, like this is like Bonex somehow got hurt. Okay, it already had to go to Grant Loy at quarterback. I don't wish that upon any Auburn fan. Right? Auburn wins at least eight games next year of the regular season. Is this because of the schedule? Yes. Okay. Okay. Auburn wins at least eight games because Auburn's better than 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 everybody. I would say Auburn is better. I think Auburn's better than LSU right now. They don't know what's going on at quarterback. Auburn's at least ahead of them in that area, and they the two teams really haven't recruited that far apart from each other. Where I think it makes a difference from just average talent throughout the roster. Look what Auburn did to them last year. Has th- have things changed in Baton Rouge in a positive way? No, <laughs> not to at all. Overcome that gap? No. And I know Auburn's going there, and that some for some reason makes a difference in this robbery. <laughs> but like, I think Auburn beats LSU this year. So the teams I'm looking at on the schedule, I'm like, yeah, that team's a lot more talented than Auburn right now. I'm thinking, all right, Georgia and Alabama, that's it. Everybody else on Auburn's schedule right now, I'm like, I don't think that these teams are more talented than Auburn. I think Auburn's every bit as talented than them. And then the great difference here is, if you want to talk about another team on Auburn's schedule, two other teams on Auburn's schedule that I view to be more 50-50 games, or, or let's just look at all the 50-50 games. Three of them right here. LSU, A&M, Penn State. Those three. Who's got the best quarterback? Yeah, it's Auburn. Do you not consider Ole Miss a 50-50 game? No. Because Think it's about home? all the players they lost. Yeah, that's true. They, they lose. Every, they send another outstanding receiver to the NFL. Yeah. Elijah Moore's gone now. Matt Corral's good. Might be good for six interceptions in a ball game, too. I don't understand everybody's fascination with Corral. You, you, you don't think John Rice Plum is going to become a Bolitnikoff winner? He's a, well, <laughs> he could end up becoming a Toke Walker winner as well. Yeah, you know, who the guy knows? can run the football, too. Ole Miss still has not built the defense yet. They can score out of their minds. But once again, let me go back to Auburn beat them last year See, at their place. It, here's, here's, here's the reason I'm going to disagree with no worse than eight and four. Because Auburn, because of new, new coaching staff, new culture, and a lot of young guys, they're going to lose some games they're not supposed to. I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. This team is that talented. Ole Miss is that game that this I'm looking is, at on the schedule. Mm, scary. This is a Trap roster. Game. This is a roster that people didn't want to fire Gus Malzahn for. Like there was a section of people out there that said, "Hey, just give them another year. Just wait until just just wait till this year where everybody's experienced." Because last year there was a, there there was a lot of losses. Now you've got these guys. They had a ten game SEC schedule to gain all this wonderful experience, and now they're coming back. And this is a, this is a a team that people didn't want to fire Gus Malzahn for because they're like, well, just just give him a chance to see what he can do with with this experienced team. He does well when he's got all these seniors and stuff on his roster. It's like this this group is experienced. They're deep at multiple position groups, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Of course, they are replacing the entire receiving core, but you got the offensive line coming back, which maybe isn't a huge compliment to Auburn football right now, sure. But you got to think that they're going to get a little bit better, right? Because they've been at least playing together. I, th- I think they get I a think little Nick, bit better. I think, yeah, I definitely think. I mean, Nick Brahms is solidified at that center position. Everywhere else, you're right. It's got to improve. And I think with the new coaching and everything that comes with that, I think it's going to bring excitement and it's going to bring, you know, just this kind of like purpose. The, the bright, the bright, the bright-eyed young guys. Are Vision. Right. Okay, let, let let's change this up. Let, let's change the narrative on us. I so. don't think Brian Harson. Holds it as acceptable anymore to lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid. Maybe I'm just I'm bought. Maybe I've bought into the vision. I don't know. But 
Still, I don't see Auburn losing more than four games in the regular season. Gus Malzahn would not have lost more than four games in the regular season with this team next year. He wouldn't have. Look at it. He wouldn't have. Yeah, okay, I'll You're agree with that. looking at the schedule. They're going to go at least 3-1 and one in conference play, or non-conference play, excuse me. And then I've already, I've already listed for you. As far as talent is concerned, in SEC play, there's only two teams that are more talented than them, and it's Alabama-Georgia. Fine, if you want to give those automatic L's, there's two right there. But then look at the 50-50 games. LSU, Penn State, A&M. Auburn could sweep that group. Yeah. A&M's looking to replace a quarterback. We all t- See, the A&M team we talked about last year, about how experienced it was, everybody went pro everybody's mm-hmm. leaving everybody graduated they're going pro a&m's trying to figure out well, what are we going to do on the offensive line what are we going to do at quarterback what? They're, they're they're trying to figure out everywhere defense I, especially on the defensive line this a&m team's trying to try to figure out how to and, and i don't think people are valuing the mass exodus of the quarterback position enough and how that's going to affect college football this year experience at the quarterback position especially in the sec is at a premium at a premium i think about it jt daniels i I think even at the running back position at receivers skill positions auburn doesn't have the receivers you know experience wise i think they've got the talent but running back and quarterback they've got the experience and not not say tank bigsby's this crazy experienced guy he really didn't get his coming out party till that arkansas game but he he knows what he's running into so and people just aren't valuing that quarterback experience enough because you look at this SEC, JT Daniels is the best returning quarterback coming into the SEC this year at Georgia. Then find a rank Bo Nix, Matt Corral, and Connor Basilak, and that's it. That's your class. Ken Seals at Vanderbilt. That's your class. Hey, you're just saying that you don't know because you don't know anything about Bryce Young yet. He's not a returner. Okay, now, so you, he's oh, going you're to, saying returns. Yeah, gotcha. I'm talking about just got quarterbacks with experience. Yeah. Now, Bryce Young's going to be fantastic at Alabama, and he, he may very well end up being the best quarterback in the conference this season because of what Alabama can do with their offense and all the skill position players and the schemes. It's pretty much an unlimited, it's pretty much an unlimited scope with mm-hmm. what Alabama can generate with their scheme for their quarterbacks, and it makes them uber-talented. All right, and you can't focus just on one player in that offense. It's it's hard for Alabama's offense to fail. They have so for many sure. different checks and balances to their offense. Other teams aren't as lucky. Other teams, especially like even just talking about Georgia, they returned an outstanding quarterback in JT Daniels. But like I've asked this question several times in the offseason, Georgia's scheme somehow finds a way to regress quarterbacks. Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm both got worse on a year-to-year basis at Georgia. And, and that's scheme for me. George Pickens is out now. They lose one of their most important skill position players. They've got running backs that really aren't as good as running backs that they've had in recent years. They lose several offensive linemen. Georgia is towards the bottom of the bucket in the in the in, in the entire nation in terms of returning production on both sides of the football. I, I'm not I'm not sold on this. I, I, Georgia's a top ten, top five team in college football next year. But I, I, the point that I'm trying to illustrate, even the best of college football. It's dealing with mass exodus of talent off their roster. And there's growing pains with that. And Auburn is fortunate enough to have substantial experience at 75 to 80% of their position groups. That matters. That matters. So you think that Auburn probably has a better chance at stealing a game from someone than losing one of those games they shouldn't? I wouldn't go as far as to say stealing one against because once again the two that I've said that are yeah. much better than them are Georgia and Alabama. And now you're asking me, do I think do I think it's more likely that Auburn loses one to LSU A and M 
And the question that you just asked me, and I know you yeah. didn't mean to phrase it this way, but the question essentially that you just asked me is, is it more likely that Auburn loses one to A&M, LSU, and Penn State versus Auburn stealing one against Alabama and Georgia? I, th- I definitely think it's more likely that Auburn yeah. loses a 50-50 game to, to A&M, LSU, and Penn State. But and, and that's what I've been calling it. I'm trying to make sure that people understand that there's three 50-50 games on the Auburn schedule. Two automatic losses in my mind right now. If I'm filling out a schedule right now and you're asking me to win-loss, 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 you're asking me to just predict the results of the season, I'm giving Auburn two, two L's automatically right now. I think Georgia and Alabama are better than Auburn. But then outside of that, there's three 50-50 games, and then I'm chalking up W's everywhere else. I think Auburn beats Ole Miss. I think Auburn beats Mississippi State. Why would Auburn not beat Ole Miss at home this year? I don't know. I just I, the the explosive offense. I really think this is one of that's one of those games where it's day four Halloween and you're looking ahead to that November slate of at Texas A and M, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Alabama. Now the positive thing is it's coming off a of bye week. I think it's hard to overlook a team when you're yeah. coming off a of bye week. Yeah, you're right. And for me, it's just I don't know. I I could see Auburn going into that game and having a, and having some offensive problems and and the Ole Miss offense is good enough to beat the Auburn defense now I don't think so I think this defense is going to bounce back yeah for sure it's just this season to credit the Ole Miss offense I think that that's still going to be good they lost a lot but I still I've had a Lane hard time Kiffin is a machine on the exactly. offensive side of the ball you're right he's a mastermind he is he is the mind bender of college football when you're talking about offensive schemes consistency at its finest all and, right and, and, and one it. other game at Arkansas I don't think they're going to improve too much but I think they'll be at least as good they'll as they were angry. last year they'll be angry and that's the week before the bye week and after LSU and Georgia I feel like that's a trap game I've I've pegged that game as a trap game as well especially if Auburn were to go 0-2 against LSU and Georgia then that Arkansas game becomes infinitely important maybe right. Auburn's a little bit more locked in in that game but it, it does become you're, you're weak at that point and Arkansas could snatch you up when you're when you're at your weakest point Still, though, and the way that I've broken it, and it never goes cookie-cutter like this, but just because Auburn had a coaching change does not mean all of a sudden Auburn became less talented. Auburn's still more talented than the majority of teams in this league and the majority of the teams that are on their schedule this upcoming year. With the exception of Georgia and Alabama, Auburn is just as talented or more talented than every other team on their schedule. And the Ole Miss game is, a lot of, is, is the popular game that everyone wants to peg right now as one that could trip Auburn up my thing coming off a of bye week Auburn's not going to overlook them and then the next thing is this Ole Miss team probably had more talent on their offense last year than they did this year than they will this year they still don't have a defense coming into this year at least we don't think they're going to what makes everybody think that all of a sudden just this year it's going to get any better they couldn't beat an offense last year Auburn only averaged 25 points a game last year <laughs> and Auburn still beat them I don't think the blueprint has changed at Ole Miss where all of a sudden they have these that they need a defense they proved that last year I mean what did Ole Miss do last year what five and five somewhere yeah. around there a little bit worse than that would yeah. they go four and six I I think I think it was four and six does that translate to like does that improve leaps and bounds like I think Auburn's getting better this year is Ole Miss getting better at the same rate I don't know but I, I would be willing to bet that Auburn wins that game and, and A&M I think it's more prudent to talk about A&M and LSU as games that Auburn needs to win but even if Auburn were to lose just going back to my point here, I, I've chalked up two automatic losses in the regular season. Even if Auburn were to lose two out of those three games to AM, LSU, and Penn State, which are the next three toughest games in Auburn's schedule, guess what? Still eight and four. Still eight and four. And so my question to you is is it more likely that Auburn 
when, uh, that Auburn loses two out of those three games and then also loses Georgia and Alabama and then beats everybody else, yes, you would say yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the thing I look at is, you know, at Penn State, that's early. I don't think they're going to be very good. They were terrible last so year. Either. And I think they can get that one. It's the other two games just because I I don't care how much better You're Auburn is than LSU. Baton Rouge. I am. I understand. I am. And it, it ends this year. It ends. Think about this, and I and I said this when Brian Horsey got hired, and then the schedule came out, and we saw that LSU was the first team on Auburn's SEC schedule. Don't you think Brian Harson is going to relish the opportunity yeah. to end that run? That'll bring some excitement, without a doubt. I think he's going to relish that. I, there, there's going to be a lot of importance placed on that LSU game. Maybe so more importance put on that LSU game than that Georgia game. I can agree with that. Because of what that game can do for this football team. We've seen that game, that LSU game, period. 2018, I think it's a big part of why the team fell apart. Because they they lost that game and it, it took all their life out of them. They thought they were better than them for the past two seasons in 17 and yeah. 18. Couldn't get past it and it tripped them up and they never, they never could get up. It, it was a game that, that broke the team apart. And all the troubles that that, that squad had last year, it, it, or not last year, back in 2018, I think it made them... Really, quite, I think it really made them uncertain of themselves. It made them have a hard time believing in themselves. You beat LSU, they're going to start buying in. That's a game where you buy in. That is a buy-in game. When, when, and we saw it against LSU in 2013 under Malzahn in his first year. That was the, like Even though they lost it, the way that they played in that second half, you go back and hear some of those guys in their interviews that they had talking about that season, they said that was the game where they bought in in the second half. They're like, hey, we, we can do this thing. Mm-hmm. Even though they lost it, they believed after it. And that game wasn't as close or was, was closer than that, than that score suggested. This LSU game, it's a big deal. I'm, I'm much higher up than, than the average person is, but I, I think this, opportun- this, this Auburn team, because everybody's down, that means it's time to buy. It's time to buy stock in this team. I can agree with if, that. If, 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 if stock's down with majority of people, it's time to buy. Baby. I can agree with that. We'll be back with more of On the Line to wrap up the show here on the other side of this break. Wrapping up hour number two here of On the Line. Drive with Bill Camera coming up in about three minutes. Or the end of our show coming up in three minutes. And then at the top of the hour at four, you'll have the Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. They'll be taking your calls as they do every day every weekday following us here on on the line 2 to 4 p.m and then they are at 4 to 6 weekdays once again wrapping up on the line here no Garner jacob hillman with you we had a great discussion that even carried into the break talking about Auburn football next season it started with the espn fbi we have no idea how mississippi state is in the top 10 of espn's fpi i have no idea I'm not even going to try and entertain it anymore, <laughs> but I enjoyed our discussion there about Auburn football's outlook next season. I am calling it right now. Auburn will not do worse than 8-4 and four next year, at least 8-4 and four next season. And if you missed that conversation, you missed my reasons why, go and find the podcast wherever you can get your podcast. You can go and find that, once again, in our previous segment there towards the end of the show. You can scroll all the way over to it and hear all those reasons why. I think Auburn's just going to at least, they, they will at least will be eight and four we're gonna wrap up the show here now talking some Auburn baseball big game against Georgia Tech something that you came into the studio today telling me about you think this is a pivotal moment in the Auburn baseball season well we talked about it already how has this ship sailed well win tonight and I would say it hasn't because you can get some momentum rolling against a top 25 team that's in a great conference you haven't lost the midweek game yet several midweek games have been postponed or canceled due to weather 
But can't lose if you don't play. Exactly. So you're starting Trace Bright, who was a Sunday starter for two weeks in a row. One of those Sunday starts was fantastic. The other one wasn't so fantastic. So now, now you're looking at this Auburn baseball team sitting at 111 in the SEC. They've got this row game at Georgia Tech, and then they travel to Tuscaloosa for the weekend. That's why this game's so important. You win tonight, then you've got momentum that you can keep rolling into the weekend. You win that series against Alabama, and I'm not saying you're in the conversation. That's good medicine, my man. That's good medicine. Look, okay, here's <laughs> Just the thing. to beat your rival, that's good medicine. Here's the thing. <laughs> And Georgia Tech is kind of a rival, too, for Auburn baseball. Yeah. When, when does Auburn not play Georgia Tech in baseball? I mean, the series, <laughs> Auburn leads it. It's like 121 to 112. Yeah. So, that's the thing. And the last time... We had a really hard time finding those numbers yesterday. Really? Yeah. The, the last it, It's not readily available. <laughs> okay, funny. of course, when the press release came out today for the ball game, it's in there, I'm sure, but right. it's not readily available. We had to do some real digging. The last time... Auburn played Georgia Tech was right before COVID shut down. It wasn't good. It, it was. No. It was. I think it was like a five-zero loss for Auburn. It. It was not that great. It, it was six to two, and right before COVID shut down. I'll say this: the Alabama series couldn't have come at a better time. Now, if Auburn lays down and they lose and they get blown out, lose two out of three, and they don't look good doing it, the season's over. But if they find a way to take two out of three, it's on, baby. It's on. So, right. Drive with Bill Cameron following us here on On the Line. That does it for another edition of the show. We'll be back tomorrow with you Wednesday afternoon, 2 to 4 p.m. You know where to find us.